but yeah. that's why I keep a big grain of salt in my pocket. <laughs> and then you lick it. That's even grosser. Um, <laughs> these guys are on their own for everything, and that shouldn't be the case. These guys should be in there to be able to focus on performance and development and maximize their opportunities while they have them. It's probably my favorite question, phrasing of a question in a, in a long time. And welcome to episode number 202 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we also have a two-man starting rotation. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the amazing Joshua Housen. Josh, how's it going? Not too bad. How about you? You don't sound amazed by my amazing description, but that's okay. It's because I am amazing. I don't have to be amazed. <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Much like the Blue Jays. Uh, the bullpen specifically is hanging in there. I think we're going to talk about that uh, because without this bullpen, there would be no split at the drop. There would be no split at home. Um, without Hyunjin Ryu's butt, uh, we would we would not be making that two starters joke. Um, also, did you hear Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had a good game this week? Did he? Yeah, we'll go over that. Don't worry. I'll fill you in. Uh, George <laughs> Springer has returned. Danny Jansen... Incredibly, is still on this team. Rowdy Telez is not. Uh, we have an interview with more than baseball, uh, more than baseballs, Jeremy Wolf, um, who we have talked to before, but we are talking to again now that the minor leagues are sort of starting back up again. We have questions from you, nice folks out there. We have not one but two gold stars to hand out for players who are living their best life. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, we'll finish her off. So I shall begin. This team, this team split a series, or sorry, won a series at the Trop and did it on the backs of a bullpen that that ended up with a one nothing game in the in the getaway day. That there was so much to digest there. Yeah, um, yeah. it, it started the game started horribly in the sense that Ryu left of three after three and two thirds. So that last game, but I mean. The, the bullpen, we're going to get in more depth in these these in a bit, but like they rather shut them down for the rest of the way. They, yeah, I mean, they just could have swept that series, really. Um, you know, they, they had a lead in the second game. They jumped out to an early lead, and actually they 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 thumped glass now in the first inning of the first game for four runs. Which was um, weird. It just didn't yeah. make any sense at all with what glass now had done up to that point in the year. Hadn't given up a home run. Gave one up to Semyon. Was it and then he gave another yeah. one to, to Gritchuk. Um, yeah. So now the thing about Glass now is his problem has always been that he does give up home runs. So I think he was bound to regress a little bit in that, in that department. <laughs> but even so, he had been the best pitcher in the in the American League to that point or among them. And then they got to uh, Honeywell the next day and knocked him out. But then they got shut down, as always, somehow by Ryan freaking Yarbrough. <laughs> <laughs> His career ERA against the Jays is like a run and a half lower than he is against everyone else. So you say the Blue Jays could have swept that series, and I, I agree with you. But this is also because the games are so close in the trop. I could also posit to you that scoring in exactly three of the 27 innings in the series, the Blue Jays could very well have also been swept. Yeah, Mommy, <laughs> but that's the default when they go to the trop. So I'm trying to say that it could have been something other than the norm. Ah, I see. I see. Fair enough. Um, there does always seem to be this feeling like if the Jays jump out to a lead that 
that Tampa Bay will chip into it as time goes on. So to not have that happen in the getaway game and to to not have it happen enough in the first game, which it was it was four three, wasn't it at the end? Uh, I believe they had five, but five five four. Uh, but for for Tampa Bay to come up just short in their own park. Um, especially with some of the weird stuff that went on in that glass now inning, I was like, wow, the, the, for once, the drop is actually cursed in favor of the Blue Jays, if only for a yeah. few innings. Yeah, it was 5-3, by the way, that first game. 5-3. Uh, yeah. They did have a, a foul ball go off of a ring somewhere in the zone near first base <laughs> slash home plate. That, I haven't seen a ball hit there. Uh, it's always been the outfield where things have gone haywire. Because here's my question, right? How the heck did it take five minutes or more than that? <laughs> they were talking for a long time. Like, shouldn't that be part of the ground rules? <laughs> shouldn't you know exactly what happens in that scenario? Well, they do know exactly what happens. But here's the determining fact. I assume you didn't have the game audio on, which I do not blame you. Is if the ball hits in fair territory, it's a... Um, it's a it's a live ball. If it hits in foul territory, it's a dead ball. So, right, but how did it take them that long to determine where? Like, you either know where it hit or you didn't. So, how do you? How does a five minute conversation help you determine where it hit? There was a lot of, of wandering back and forth and staring and pointing and, and pointing. Lots of pointing, but, <laughs> but it's like, I, how did they come to a decision? It's like it's one or the other. Like, it's not like talking about it is going to determine where it hit. You either know or you don't. I, I also feel like the decision obviously took way too long, and I mainly feel that because if you look at where the fielder is positioned before everything kind of goes gaga, he's clearly standing about 10 feet into foul territory. Do you really think he was standing, like, way, way over from where he saw the ball? Especially because the ball would drift back towards the field. <laughs> yeah. It was probably even to the right of him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, yeah. he's he's standing under under what it's hitting and he's in foul territory it's a dead ball uh yeah so there was some real weirdness there um but i'll take two out of three from the drop happily even though it wasn't that sweep that we that we might have had we should probably get into hyunjin ryu and his supposed not very significant injury um which i Whenever I hear, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine, I'll take my next turn in the rotation for something that took a guy out of a game, I take my big grain of salt and I give it a big lick. <laughs> and I wait. That sounds sounds gross. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's why I keep a big grain of salt in my pocket. <laughs> and then you lick it. That's even grosser. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I mean, so when it came out, he said he read through his tests even later that day and he was fine. He was going through his normal start prep. This is exactly what happened to him previously with the Dodgers with this exact same thing. And he missed a start. It was like literally the exact same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be fine. I'm going through my prep. And then he went on the IL and missed a start. So I, I, it seems like it's a, just a precautionary thing just to make sure because if Hyunjin Ryu is seriously injured, this team is totally screwed. Absolutely. But it's still annoying that he missed a start. You know, he's going to miss a start right now when – they have two starters. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, R Robbie Ray, Stephen Matz. We hardly, we hardly knew how much we needed you. Um, to his credit, it did look very much like as soon as he felt something, he did not even try and throw another pitch. 
I think that's the benefit of having the industry injury history that he's got, right? So he knows, like, okay, I'm not going to try to push this because I don't want to be out long. Yeah. So as much as, you know, one start is that, uh, if it is only just the one start, everything looks good, which again i i don't i don't disbelieve the team but injuries are weird sometimes when you think something is on a you know straight line recovery it's not um but yeah one or two starts versus one or two months huge deal and i think he missed uh you you said one start i thought he missed like three weeks the last time someone said but maybe i was wrong but uh we're talking about reuse but way too much here um string but uh, we should just quickly mention like the state of the rotation now (laughs) Uh, it's just a tation that we're out. Of, we don't have a whole row in there. Too many letters. It's just a row, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stephen Matz, who apparently regularly gets shellacked by the Nationals, as told to me by a Nationals fan on my feed, um, and uh, Robbie Ray. Well, that was easy. Yeah, um, that's it. They, they've been rolling with three starters of late because Trent Thornton's been acting as an opener. For Tommy Malone, <laughs> you know, it's like okay, but uh, that's what they've been doing because they've had four off days in the last eight days. We're recording us on the on the fourth of those of those four. They don't have another off day coming for a while, and Stripling should be coming back in sometime probably this weekend. But they're going to have to figure this out because no one's stretched out, and I don't even know if Anthony Kay is fully stretched out because he was sort of in that weird going to start and then didn't pitch roll for that one game. And I don't know if he's been down working. So, you know, they're going to have to do something because Nate Pearson just got optioned. So, which is sort of the, that's the unexpected move, right? Everyone thought, Oh, Nate Pearson, IL and is immediately, even if they can like get him, you know, three innings, four innings, he's coming back to the rotation. If he's, if he's only, you know, 65 pitches or whatever. Yeah, and I, I guess they decided not to do that. So he needs to be down for 10 days now. And, you know, that's obviously not ideal. So they'll have to go through two turns, two more turns of rotation before they can activate him. So it's going to be interesting to see how that they plan for this next, you know, couple of weeks of games. I mean, are they all not just really bullpen days these days anyway? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> anyway. Maybe they can get some seven inning double headers instead. Like just reschedule them so that, that they can, you know, use fewer pitchers. There's a, there's someone in a Blue Jays uh, plane right now, seeding clouds, trying to make it rain. <laughs> uh, I'm going to segue into making it rain because uh, that's what we used to say when Josh Donaldson hit a homer, but now Vlad Jr. hits homers. He he makes it. Does he? Yeah, he makes it snow. Uh, he had <laughs> the game of his life, which he acknowledged was the game of his life. Versus, uh, to start off with, Max Scherzer. Yep. Uh, took Matt Scherzer twice, like, no doubter home runs. I mean, the first one was a grand slam when they were down 3 nothing. Like, against Max Scherzer, down 3 nothing, and you hit a grand slam. That's pretty big. <laughs> that That's baseball poetry right there. That's what that is. Uh, to go from behind by three to ahead by one in one fluid motion of the bat. Uh, not his hardest hit ball of the night. I think he reserved that for his second home run to dead center. Also off of Max Scherzer joining, uh, Kevin Pillar in the, uh, in the annals of Blue Jays history is people to Homer twice off of Max Scherzer. 
Yeah, that's something you don't ever want to be <laughs> expecting. Right? That sentence came out really horribly. You never expect to have those two names linked together in an offensive <laughs> situation. No, you don't want all. that normally. Not at all. Um, and then, just for good measure, he went uh, opposite field for his third home run of the night. Yeah, and uh, so this be- with this, Vlad became the youngest player ever. Well, since 1901, and I assume there were no players hitting three home runs a game before 1901 because no one hit home runs. He was the youngest player ever to hit three home runs with seven RBIs or three home runs with a grand slam. And he beat the record set two years ago by two days. (laughs) He's two days younger than Jordan Alvarez was when he did it. Nice. Uh, He is... uh, There was a whole bunch of, like, three homer game records he set. But essentially... What we what we were going to emphasize here is he is still very very young and super duper productive uh, for someone so young, even though he's been around here for two years. The other thing I personally thought was interesting in terms of the record is Vladimir Guerrero, senior, his father, Hall of Famer, no doubt Hall of Famer, unquestionably, never had a three home run game. Yeah, and he had forty home run season. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was like a truly special game. And, you know, it's it's just a continuation of what Vlad's been doing, right? We talked about he, when he's driving the ball the way he is, like some of them are going to go over the fence. And he made an adjustment. He said in the Tampa Bay series, he was sort of jumping out at the ball. And it was evident that he was waiting back against Washington. Like those home runs were not pulled. I mean, in the first one, which is to left center, he still lets the ball travel. And when he does that, his bat speed is so good. And his bat control is so good that he can just destroy pitchers. And, you know, like that's why he's got more walks than strikeouts, why he's got an OPS of 1141. Like it's, he's just really, truly locked in. And it's just a joy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when he gets out of, out of sync for even one at bat, it's so obvious how different his approach and his results and mechanics go when he when he forgets himself a little bit or when he's trying to do a lot with one swing of the bat rather than what he did in that bases loaded situation, which was hunt for something that he could destroy. Um, because if, if he's if he feels like he's got the advantage over the pitcher, if he knows what he's doing, he is he is far more deadly than some of the close and the close and late situations he's been put in where it seems like he's he's trying to make that ninth inning at bat happen. So I I think he's already really got a good idea he just needs to maintain that every single at bat which i mean that that could that could click tomorrow that could take years but uh when he's on he's more on than anybody else on this team so woo yay uh yeah (laughs) one guy who might give him a run for his money at least you know as an overall performer is finally in a blue jay uniform george springer uh is not in the outfield yet but george springer started at DH in the Blue Jays' last game prior and let off. This seems to be the right way of things, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the the lineup is so much better when it goes Springer, Bo, Vlad than any other iteration has been. And Ambigio has actually been fine as the leadoff hitter so far, but he's not, his overall numbers are bad. And George Springer's, either the best or the second best hitter on this team. So I mean, it just makes them so much more dangerous, especially to start a game. Like as a pitcher, do you really want to face that trio in the first inning? I do not, sir. <laughs> give, give me an opener. 
Seriously. Yeah. Let him do it. Uh, did not do anything really in his first game, Springer, but did not appear to be suffering any ill effects of any kind. Uh, the sort of trickle-down effect, though, from Springer coming onto the roster means someone else had to go. And although the Blue Jays made a couple of moves, uh, you know, pitching-wise in that the same day, really, it's it's Rowdy Tellez who doesn't have a place on this team if George Springer is not playing center field every day. Yeah, so there were people who were surprised by Rowdy's option because he started to hit a bit better, but... As you said, like if, if Springer's going to be DHing, there's no room for Rowdy. Like you don't want him just sitting on the bench, but and he's not going to play first because that's where Vlad's playing. So it, it means there's going to be more you know, more ABs for maybe jo, Joe Panic or, or or you know Santiago Espinal because they've been playing Biggio in the outfield. But then Teoscar Hernandez should be back in the next couple of days as well. So. Yeah, it just makes sense. And I'm sure that once Springer is healthy, they'll make a real decision because they'll have to decide who should be the DH as opposed to it's George Springer. Yeah, because we you're going to have that Randall Grichuk um, and um, Teoscar Hernandez and Gurriel filling up three outfield slots. Um, but you're still trying to get uh, Biggio at bats. Yeah, and they might have to move Biggio back to third where he's been terrible and Gurriel's been not hitting at all so there'll be some decisions to make and it will it'll be interesting to see how it plays out maybe we put Gurriel at third and he just suddenly starts hitting yeah <laughs> uh Bobichette has had uh still moments where I don't know what he's doing but he's also had a couple of moments where it, it did appear um you know he's been working on things continuing to work on things uh there was a play was it the last play last night um where again, the, Vlad ended up doing the splits to bail him out a bit, but but the the extreme situation of the throw definitely warranted, um, a, you know, not a perfect throw. And Bo looked like like the guy you wanted to shortstop at that moment, uh, going all out. I nobody can play third base on this team. Is it going to be a problem? All. Yeah, but then he can't hit. Right. Exactly. Um, I, I, it is a problem. Like it, it, you can't really say otherwise. And, you know, like it's, it's as we said before, it's like the issue is that Biggio doesn't have the arm strength for third base. And Panic and Espinal are not good enough hitters to start. But they basically, they'll have to weather the storm until either some of the minor leaguers are ready or it's later in the season and you can make a trade because, you, you know, there's just, you're not going to do that in April, May, probably even June. All right, so in the not good enough category, I think we have to take uh, a special look at Danny Jansen. Who oh boy. 048 batting average, Josh. So 45. Oh, good. So he, he, he has a quarter and two dimes to his name. How, how can, like, I like the idea of Danny Jansen catching and managing this pitching staff. But Alejandro Kirk can also do that. Yeah. I mean, Kirk's not hitting that great either, but he looks like a world beater next to Jansen right now. And yes, yeah. I mean, so Jansen is two for 44. He's walked five times, but two for 44 is really, really bad. I mean, last year, the uh, you know the 
the idea was that like Reese McGuire was so bad and he was, he was three for 41. (laughs) (laughs) And we couldn't tolerate Reese McGuire. And now the good hitting catcher is, is three for 44. Like two, two for for 44. Sorry. In, in any other year, Danny Jansen is working on stuff in AAA, is he not? You mean when they're not trying to contend? I don't know. What do you mean by any other year there? Any any year where the minor league season has started officially? No, I don't. I don't think he is because like, I, who do they call up? That's the problem, right? Like they're not going to bring Reese McGuire back because he, he's no better, and they don't have another guy who's ready like Riley Adams. He needs some more minor league time. So I, I I think they just kind of stuck with this. Like this is why they were pursuing JT Realmuto in the offseason, because as much as they believed in Jansen and you know, like I did too, right? Like I'm, I'm not still not writing him off as, as terrible as he looks. Um, and they believed in Kirk. It's like these are guys are young catchers who still haven't proven anything. And, you know, it's hard to hit and catch in the big leagues. And, but, you know, they didn't get Real Muto and they went with these guys. And But I do think that if Jansen doesn't turn it around and fast, it's going to be Kirk catching four games and Jansen catching Ryu as opposed to Jansen catching Ryu and everybody but Ray. Yeah, I, I totally see that, too. I mean, you just you you can't have a guaranteed out in the lineup. And and as much as Kirk is not tearing the world up, he is not a guaranteed out right now. He he makes pitchers work um, and gets on base from time to time. Yeah. And he's also started to hit you know, a little better, right? Since he got his first hit, which took him a while to get, he's seven for his last 22, which is a 318 batting average. And he's got a 400 on base, 500 slugging in that time. I mean, that's a really, really tiny sample, but he is hitting now the way that he was expected to hit. Yeah. I mean, the league, the league average batting average is 232 right now. So a guy hitting anything above that at catcher, I'm fine with that. Yep. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a break from the week that was, unless you had any other final highlights. No. Uh, we are going to go talk to uh, Jeremy Wolf from More Than Baseball, and we'll be back with him right after this. It's all right. And we are joined today by Jeremy Wolf of More Than Baseball at morethanbaseball.org, uh, an organization, a nonprofit uh, dedicated to helping minor league uh, baseball players uh, make it through, so to speak. Uh, Jeremy, welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Um, so it has certainly been a little while since we've talked to you. And, and in the entire meantime, a minor league season got canceled. So um I, I'm sure no one was anticipating that being one of the challenges that you would face. So h- how did your, your organization approach that? Yeah, uh, b- my job is very complicated because we're dealing with guys that already make very little money, right? Already make between, uh, it was 3000 and $10,000 per year. But now, thanks to the increased wages, it's around 5000 to uh, $13,000 per year. So looking at a little bit better opportunities, but these guys don't get paid for spring training uh, in March. They actually didn't start spring training until April of this year, and they actually haven't had a paycheck since 2019. So last year when the season got cut, a lot of guys didn't get paid. Uh, They weren't going to get paid until the team stepped up 
and said that uh, they were going to give guys around $300 per week, uh, you know, to cover a few months of the pandemic as sort of a uh, like an unemployment a pandemic support support uh, kind of thing through the league. And then more than baseball was able to raise close to $750,000. And we distributed that uh, to about 1200 minor leaguers who were in desperate need of financial assistance. So uh, we've been very busy. Now, to that point, I mean, it's awesome that you were able to to do that and, and come up with some real money and, and put it into the pockets of people who are obviously struggling. But does it ever frustrate you that teams are act like like they have a single player that is making more than their entire minor league organization? And that guy's not doing anything because his contract says he doesn't have to play. And yet you're, you know, you're, you're out there hat in hand to, to people uh, trying to get yeah. help for these guys. Yeah, the system isn't set up for these guys to succeed. Like, plain and simple. There, there should be no reason more than baseball needs to exist. Uh, but yet we have to. We have to because these guys aren't given access to affordable housing, food, and equipment during and after the season. These guys aren't given access to quality mental health coaching. They're not given access to things they need to be successful on and off the field. Access to affordable mattresses. Access to uh, you know affordable housing or even the slightest inclination of, uh, you know, where they can live during the season affordably. These guys are on their own for everything, and that shouldn't be the case. These guys should be in there to be able to focus on performance and development and maximize their opportunities while they have them. And unfortunately, uh, that's not the case. That's why more than baseball has to be here. We have to help these guys during their career, and then when their career is over, to transition them out of playing, find success during and after their career. So you mentioned the affordable housing and that being a part of something they shouldn't be have to deal with. It's my understanding that this year, because of COVID protocols, they are not allowed to have host families this year. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, from my understanding, minor league baseball players won't get uh, won't be put up in host families put on by the teams. Uh, that means players are on their hook to find their own housing. You know, a few guys are gonna be three to an apartment. Uh, pay roughly three hundred, four hundred dollars each. Uh, you know, for for their rooms, guys are going to make roughly, on average, like five hundred fifty, six hundred dollars per week during the season. Um, and so they're on their own. If they can find a host family, then they're going to live with host families affordably. But if not, they're going to have to pay a significant amount of their monthly paycheck uh, to to housing. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. And I know that you've also, in the past, you've helped out players with equipment and and making connections that way. Has you, have you found that with COVID and the inability to get down to see people, perhaps, that it's become even more of a challenge, making sure that all these guys are basically cared for in the way that allows them to succeed? Yeah, so like if they need anything, they are more than welcome to come to us. Uh, we have in our network of support, we have what we call the player portal. Uh, in our player portal, uh, we have about 500 of our 3,000 members. We just let it go. We just opened it up a, a few weeks ago. So it's been really cool to see like which guys value the resources that we've put in the player portal. They get access to the intake forms, access to uh, the ability to sign up for our programs, education and financial guidance, uh, ESL programs, etc. In there, we do have discounts on uh, bats and gloves and uh, food and uh, our housing guide that we made with a company called Clubby. And so all of the stuff that they're going to need is inside the different 
portals and web pages and things that more than baseball puts together. We are a resource and a community that's brought together to help minor league baseball players during and after their career. And ultimately uh, we're going to be here and doing that until things get better for players. Is, has there been any challenge or getting that word out to other players about what you guys are doing and therefore also getting the word out to people that can help support you guys? I think the challenge comes from just getting the baseball fans to understand that, yes, it's hard for minor leaguers. I think they realize that. I, I think like almost three years of doing this work, like people are starting to realize uh, minor leaguers have it really hard. <laughs> I think the blame is less on the minor leaguers now than it was. And I think it's more on major league baseball is just stuck in the past. They're not playing players because they don't have to. And from a business decision, it makes sense for them, right? They don't want, they don't need to spend an extra $4 million to cover uh, players because they don't have to legally the fair labor standards act in 1938 plus the save America's pastime act of 2018, both stipulate that minor league baseball players are not subject to overtime or fair wage or minimum wage. Legally, they don't have to pay minor leaguers. So what can baseball fans do to make the future of baseball better for the players who are still doing it? Or well, how can they help their community? How can they help their minor league team? How can they help this kid uh, who wants to play in minor league baseball, uh, maybe get a scholarship or be part of a youth camp? Like there are so many different opportunities for fans to work with more than baseball because we help support the growth of baseball uh, as we are helping minor leaguers. I mean, I think it goes hand in hand. We just want to make baseball a better place. We want to, uh, I'm very thankful for everything that baseball has done for me. And I just want to make sure that I'm leaving it in a better place than how I found it. And I think myself and my co-founders feel the same way I do. So you, you have a, a difficult a proposition in front of you, you know, as I see it. And I, I feel for you that you obviously have limited resources. Um, getting, uh, getting an individual minor league or a group of minor leaguers, an improved situation is, is definitely one way to approach the goal. But you also have, you know, if the Saving America's Pastime Act was actually what it claimed to be doing and, and got a better shake for those players, that would have also been very effective. So how do you divide the, your limited resources between sort of that macro changing changing the game, um, you know, overall versus the micro level of, OK, the people who are in the system right now need as much assistance as we can give them? Yeah, the Save America's Pastime Act was just Major League Baseball's way of solidifying where minor leaguers stand in the national baseball lexicon. Basically, minor league baseball players were in this weird bubble of, uh, are they employees or are they not? Are they full-time? Are they not? The Save America's Pastime Act said, these guys are seasonal apprentices and they shall not make overtime or minimum wage. So on the books now, minor league baseball players are these seasonal apprentices, though they work 12 months a year, though they do all these different things throughout the course of, of an entire 12-month calendar that help prepare them for their season and help them recover after the season. So like we are under the impression, and certainly when I played, baseball was my job. Baseball was what I needed to focus on, but yet I didn't get the resources at my disposal to help me with that. So the resources that More Than Baseball puts together are just to ensure that these guys have what they need to be successful today so that they can get to the major leagues. Or that they can be a tool for this major league team to trade away uh, for pieces or to create or extend a championship window. Uh, organizations are only as good as their farm system. And we believe that their farm system can be stronger when you focus on the day-to-day -day lives of players. So when you look at what more than baseball does, 
more than baseball is the response to the fact that these guys make very little money and these guys don't have support at their disposal that will help them. We want to work with clubs. We're tired of lawsuits. We're tired of animosity. We're tired of the fact of having this conversation, why I have to convince people why it's okay to treat minor league baseball players better. All these guys want to do is be on the field, be the best that they can be, and be set up for success when they're done playing. And that is what we strive to do every single day. So some of it takes resources. Some of it takes capital. Some of it takes money to put these programs into place. Other stuff just takes time and energy. And all we know how to do is make sure that if we have these in front of players, players are going to use it. And we have it in front of players because they really need it. And that's what makes us successful. And, and speaking of the, the kind of things that you're doing, how did the MTV Kicks thing get started? Because that seems just like a fantastic idea. Uh, okay, so you know how there are like some people who are like unbelievable at their job? I won't say like Michael Jordan. <laughs> he, was, he was a great basketball player. He was one of the best in the world at his job. Uh, Slade Heathcott, who's our co-founder, former first-round pick, former New York Yankee, is like the Michael Jordan of nonprofit uh, and organizational ideas uh, of how to make uh, something out of nothing. And he goes, hmm, we work with stadium custom kicks. They make custom cleats for professional athletes. They put designs on them. Okay, how about we uh, work with Major League Baseball players and get players to wear them on our behalf? And what we have done with that is not only get 50 Major League Baseball players bought in, right, who wear it, who support it, who uh, love what we're doing, who, are, who like working with us, who, uh, you know, wear our shirts, and then they wear our cleats uh, on the field uh, to have it covered by the Philadelphia Phillies and the Cincinnati Reds coming up this week and the New York Mets and having all of these organizations go, MTB Kicks comes back to support minor leaguers. Uh, it's a really big deal that we're doing this. And I think we've had a tremendous amount of success because of how we talk about baseball and how people listen to conversations with me or Slade or Simon Rosenbaum Larson, who's our other co-founder. And they say, well, like these guys just want to make baseball a better place. Uh, yes. And your way to support can be in a multitude of different ways. And so when Dexter Fowler wears cleats, uh, supporting Lou, you know, uh, honoring Lou Brock with our logo on the back of them and Cardinals announcers talk about them, that's a really big deal. It's a really big deal on all levels. And we're just, make, we're just normalizing the fact that uh, it's okay to support minor league baseball players as they uh, get to the big leagues. And it's okay to support more than baseball because all we're trying to do is make baseball a better place. And, and just my understanding is these, these shoes that they're wearing then get auctioned off and the proceeds would go towards the organization. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Or the organization that we're partnering with on the cleats. So Pete Alonzo's uh pete alonzo's cleats last year helped support homers for heroes which is his nonprofit. right um joe musgrove's cleats help support a bone marrow uh nonprofit. so if these guys wanted to go to more than baseball it can uh but if they want to split it between their own nonprofit or their team's nonprofit, uh they're more than welcome to so um we have uh, a lot of listeners. I doubt we have very many minor league baseball players. There might be a few out there. Um, so in terms of um, their interest in this, it, it might much more lean to uh, the idea that they would like baseball to be better. Um, and who could blame them? Uh, so if they wanted to help out a minor league baseball player or, or to help your organization help out a minor league baseball player, what's the best way to do that? Or what choices do they have in how to do that? Uh, yeah, they can go to morethanbaseball.org. 
they can donate. They can become a member of the bullpen, which is just our group of monthly donors. These guys get access to, you know, behind the scenes footage of stuff we're doing, uh, early access to some of the cleats that we're doing. Um, they get access to the podcast that Chase Darno or Big Leaguer and I host, uh, you know, extended interviews and all that stuff. It's called The Grind. You can listen to that on Apple and Spotify. Um, they can, you know, fans can, uh, in their local minor league community, uh, host an event with us, host a youth clinic, uh, get us in touch with people or brands or anybody in that area that can help, uh, that wants to put on something, uh, maybe host a spread for some of these guys, uh, give these guys different opportunities more than baseball. It's in this really cool position because we can work with anybody to help these guys day in and day out during and after the season. Some of these guys uh, have been hired by some of our fans to do odd jobs or to do lessons. Uh, if they're a player, come use one of our programs. I'm sure they've heard of the grant, uh, which we have our last one coming out over the next few weeks. The Major League Baseball Players Trust gave us $500,000 to help fund our player grant program. Um, so there's so many different opportunities for fans, for players, for big leaguers, for uh, reporters, for podcasts to all participate in what more than baseball is doing all in all uh the whole idea of making baseball a better place is a real thing uh some of their money is going to go to uh building a field in in cameroon and helping send equipment to bhutan and building an equipment database for uh israelis and bringing equipment to mexico and doing stuff in the dominican and venezuela like we're trying to do as much as we can with the opportunities that we're given and the connections that we've made to honestly, truly make baseball more welcoming, a better place, so more people have access to play the game. And so if people like that, uh, by all means, come come uh, work with us and and support us, and we'll do this together. <laughs> yeah. So to our listeners, if this is, uh, you know, the first time you are hearing about uh, More Than Baseball, um, you can find them at morethanbaseball.org. You can follow them on Twitter at mtb underscore org. Um, and if you have connections, uh, especially, you know, if you're Canadian, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, if, and you haven't heard of them before, you might be able to uh, to help out uh, with, uh, you know, someone you know or, or something you can do. So um, thank you very much, uh, Jeremy, for joining us. And uh, we hope that uh, we hope that uh, some good comes of uh, our talk here. No, thank you guys. Honestly, I love having these conversations and I love when people want to support. So thank you. No problem at all. You have a good night. Thank you. We are back. And yeah, we are uh, we are rarely altruistic, I think, on this show. We kind of have our tongue in our cheek a lot. But uh, in, in all seriousness, I think that is a great organization. And I think if you are interested in baseball being better for the people who play it, um, there's there's a great spot to start in more than baseball. Yep, fantastic organization. We have from our listeners a certain number of questions which shall be preceded by these noises. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Ah, uh, the first question of the night is probably my favorite question, uh, phrasing of a question in a, in a long time from Blue Jay Way at Blue Jay Way One. Why is Jansen's bat so flaccid? <laughs> 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 Saggy little bat in his hands. 
maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's made of the wrong kind of, uh, maybe he's not using alder or, or, uh, ash or maple like he should. I can't believe you didn't make a wood joke. Like I'm very, I'm very mm, proud of you. Mm. Um. <laughs> don't, don't tempt me, Josh. It was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Um, there's no answer to this question <laughs> but it's a great question i'm so not not reading it all right uh yeah we have no insight as to why it is the way it is but we agree uh l at ellie ellie Hart asks before his rookie year steamer projected guerrero to win the batting title what do you place his odds of actually doing so this year that was crazy by the way <laughs> when steamer did that <laughs> Uh, oh, geez. The odds of him winning the batting title, I don't know, 10%, which is really high, I think. You now he's off to a great start. You know, Mike Trout's ahead of him by 60 points or 80 points, but, you know, it's really, really early. But I think he's got, he's showing the skill set to do it, and he's a great hitter. So a 10% chance, I think, is pretty high and I think a reasonable number. I would also say lower than Mike Strout's chances of winning the batting title. I feel like he 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 has a shot, but it appears Mike Trout this year has decided um, to not. You know the Incredibles, where at the very end, Dash is in the the foot race, and and there he is, of course, he has speed superpowers, and he's trying to just run the race, but you know he's going to win from the very beginning. I feel like Mike Trout has unlocked that power this year. <laughs> that he's just going to go hard hard enough to destroy just, everyone else. <laughs> and he's decided just to take off a little bit more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how, but he, I, I feel uh, like that's I mean, what he's, he's having his best month ever. And when you're talking about Mike Trout, <laughs> you know, like the, that's pretty good. Um, somebody, somebody had a quote from him earlier that he wasn't comfortable in the box before this year. I'm like, that's an uncomfortable Mike Trout? Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, incoherent screaming at split letters asks, have the Jays called up Josh with a contract offer yet? And what number will he wear? Or alternatively, to be more, more pertinent, how long can they hold up with a two man rotation? Um, they have not called me yet, which makes me very sad. Surely uh, it's just a, like some sort of typographical error thing. Yeah, it must be the contract <laughs> lost in the mail. Yeah. But I do have a number. It's 45. I don't think anyone's currently wearing that. I thought there was for some reason, but I'm looking at the list here and I'm not seeing it. So it'd be good. I would have to force someone else to get someone else to give up their jersey number because I'm clearly so important. There we are. All right. Number 45. Alternatively, we answered your how long can they hold out question, which is they can't actually. There's no off date. <laughs> no, um, they really can't. It, Matt Thomas at Thomas Matt C asks, aside from the playoffs, what games or performances in recent memory were as exciting to you as watching Vlad go off the other night? I will let you answer first, sir. Ooh. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, like that was really, really cool. And seeing him do it against Scherzer, I can't think of anything that was pre- that wasn't from like 2015 or 16 that had me like that excited, like that, that, you know, energized watching it. And I, Cause I didn't see Kevin Biggio hit for the cycle live. I haven't seen any like ridiculously dominant starting pitching performances. So yeah, it's probably going all the way back there. I think this was just incredible. And it was really, really fun to see him do it. I will go with Steve Pierce's penchant for walk-off grand slams. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. I didn't see either of them live though, so I can't uh, I, <laughs> I can't use those either. No, that's I saw, not true. I saw the first one, but it was already nine nine. But I didn't see the one when he hit the walk off slam when they were down three. So yeah, uh, but I, that's kind of that exciting. And then yeah, I think before that you probably have to go back to you know Edwin Encarnacion's three home run performance to really for a game that that is just that wow inducing, and that's not really recent, like you said. Craig Kennedy at Craig Kennedy. Hi, Craig. Welcome. Welcome to the Twitter. Um, you can throw a picture in there on your bio. Um, does Manoa starting at AAA change anything for how soon we think he might debut in MLB? It seems crazy, but the whole never played above this level argument seems less important to this front office than we have tended to assume. Well, I think that a lot of the never played above stuff, which we mentioned even a couple times, too, is kind of silly this year because there was no minor leagues last year. So like going from when you're a college pitcher, going from short season A where he debuted to triple A in your third season isn't crazy. Like it happens, especially if you're advanced. But uh but there was no second season. So we don't we have no idea how well certain guys developed and advanced at the alternate site last year. Obviously the Jays think that Manoa is pretty close. Like you don't, you don't stick him in AAA if you don't think that there's a chance he could contribute pretty soon. And you know, like we saw it in spring training, how dominant he has looked. At he looked, you know, facing those Yankees. And if he can come out dominating in AAA, I expect he'll be up pretty quick. I, I think, yeah, I think you're right that he he might be up pretty quick because the other thing is every minor leaguer went through the same thing in terms of not not having the same development curve that you normally would so do you count everyone as having served a season at a lower level or do you say nobody's done it not you know they've all just say nothing like to be honest i mean it's like you just say you throw your hands up in the air and say we'll see it when they debut like that's that's pretty much it we'll see where they go and we'll see how they do when they get there yeah he's 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 going to do as well as he possibly can when we let him loose so Hopefully sooner rather than later, but they hopefully they don't need him. Need him, need him. Hopefully it's because they want him. We have, for the listening pleasure, a couple of gold stars. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. All right. Fernando Tatis Jr. You get, I, I don't know, maybe he gets two gold stars. Although this was all from one two. night. Yeah? You're going to give him two? All right. Cool. Uh... Tatis versus Trevor Bauer, round one, victory, Fernando Tatis. Round two, also victory, Fernando Tatis. But that's not what the gold star is. It's not for hitting homers, Josh. What's it for? So I'll do the first one. You can do the second one. (laughs) In his first home run, as he was rounding first base, he turned around and covered one of his eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Which obviously is mocking Trevor Bauer's nonsense saying that he was pitching with one eye closed in spring training. Well, actually, he was doing it, but just the idiocy of that whole system where he was doing pitching with one eye closed. So it's like, yeah, I'm hitting with one eye closed and look what I just did to you. So it was, it was just so cool. And like, I think I was like, at the time I tweeted out like Fernando Tatis is a treasure. And then he just doubled down. Second home run. He walks off the field with the, uh, the exaggerated flex walk that, Bauer himself uses when he finishes off an inning and uh, and strolls back into the dugout with flailing his arms. I don't know if flailing is the right word. It's kind of like flapping them, like 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 yeah. jelly arms, essentially. Yeah, like just just 
steezing it out as much as possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that is the best part of this. An underrated part of this, and I, I hesitate to give Trevor Bauer any credit, is when they interviewed him about it later, he said, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> but then he blamed Tatis for trying to steal signs and lost anything because you're allowed to look at the signs if you're a batter. Like, he didn't use anything electronic. That's not stealing. That's peeking. Yep. And pe- peeking is rude, but not legal. Uh, gold star number two, Sandy Alcantara. Tell me, who is Sandy Alcantara? I, he plays for the Marlins? Yes, he is. A, he's a pitcher for, he for has, the Marlins. He has an important question. On his mind, burning, and he decided to ask the most important people who could answer that question. Yeah, it's actually Alcantara is how he pronounces it. But uh, yeah, so he <laughs> he tweeted, <laughs> "quote I got a quick question for at MLB the show. What I gotta do for at least an eighty rating <laughs> with three crying emojis, like laugh crying, like like he's got a beef. I mean, <laughs> he, so like coming into this season." He, you know, he's this is his age 25 season. Last year, he put up a three ERA in 42 innings across seven starts. The year before that, 3.88 in 32 starts, 197 innings. He's put, I, I think that that's earned an 80 grade. You know, he's got a good big fastball. I, I he's got a beef. He's not asking for 100, right? Like, no, th- these are out of 100. It's not, he, he's not asking to be, you know, the Roy Halliday. He just wants an 80. <laughs> it's just really funny like just having got a deal around here yeah <laughs> i just love this though i love these guys having fun and, and just... also the fact that he was like you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go take it in my own hands i'm just gonna go straight to the source i don't you know who needs back channels maybe no. maybe uh in an update this year he will end up with an 80 somewhere somehow but good luck sandy we we're pulling for you <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we have a gold star for you too. You can come pick you can come pick that up at our studio if we ever figure out where it is. Oh my goodness. Uh let us review. Um so the the very last thing I suppose it's important for me to talk about at this juncture is did you know we have a Patreon, Josh? Uh, vaguely aware. Yes. Uh we don't mention a lot. I don't know why we don't do that anymore. We used to beat it to death i figure it is a new season we've gone quite the distance and have not mentioned our very very lovely patrons so first by name um at the extra special level colleen evans colleen you've been a patron forever uh we really appreciate you and we appreciate your continued support uh at game level uh our new patron daniel levitan at the game level thank you daniel we will have to have you like all of our uh game level patrons um come on for a game, most likely swinging a drive if I can figure out how to run that again, uh, but perhaps some trivia. Uh, we will have you come on the podcast if you wish to do that. So we will be extending that offer in the next little while. Uh, Deco Cuff, Jarrett Seaman, and Matt Sweeby, thank you again for maintaining your game level patronship. Also at the uh, rec level, Luke Porterfield, Mark B, and Michael Tatlock, as well as Michael Warner, Sam Dowdle, and Todd Bartlett. Uh, to all of you, a very hearty thank you uh, for supporting uh, Artificial Turf Wars. If you didn't know we had a Patreon and you wanted to see what that's all about, you can find us at www.patreon.com slash turfpod. Uh, and therein you will uh, you will go over all of the reward levels that are available cumulatively to our patrons as a group. 
Um, we are actually fairly close to a new reward, which will cause more work for Jock and I, but we don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> go, go check that out. Um, yeah, that is my Patreon plug, and that means that we must be near the end of the podcast, and I can swing over to you for a final thought. Yeah, so the last question sort of teased it. Um, Craig Kennedy's question. The Jays released some of their minor league assignments. And yeah, I like Noah being in AAA was the big one. And interestingly, Austin Martin and Jordan Groshans are both in AA. I wasn't sure they put them both there to start. And so we'll see how they position them because both of them were drafted as shortstops and both of them seem likely to not be playing shortstop. <laughs> so... Yeah, well, that, that'll be a good good team to watch with Martin Groshen, Simeon Wood Richardson, Gabriel Moreno. So those guys are not that far away either if they're down at that level. So it'll be, we'll have to see how they do. Uh, my final thought is a little more abstract. The Blue Jays, I'd just like to extend a personal thank you for them scoring nine runs for the first time this season. So I could launch the hashtag for 2021. Get it out there. Everybody, hashtag nine runs. It's important. The first time. Sorry, second time? Yeah, they got that 15-run game against the Angels. Oh, yeah. I just felt that it was just so prophetic when Vlad hit a home run to get to nine runs. It was mm, it was right where it needed to be. Uh, so my bad. Second time, folks, get on it. Nobody's retweeting it. I'm sad, but but it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, if they could do they that. They get for retweets on the pod. <laughs> yeah, if they could do that more, though, and, and not this score in one, like, one inning per game is a frightening thing to watch, uh, which is what they did the whole time they were at the drop. And almost did it again last night, but for a lonely solo home run. Uh, yeah, I, I believe the offense is there. Uh, we'll see if George Springer lights a fire under it. Which is to say that uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been uh, Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and our guest was Jeremy Wolf. Uh, from morethanbaseball.org or if you want to find them on Twitter at mtb underscore org uh, this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 202 and we will talk at you next week <laughs> <laughs>